Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline? And what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. Are we finally ready? Do mm-hmm. we have our shit to do we have our shit together? I don't know if we have our shit together, but we can start. <laughs> okay. All right. I have another Michigan case for you guys. I'm excited. This was sent to me as a request from a former teacher and family friend. She told me that growing up, there was one case that always haunted her, and she asked if the case was overdone. And I had never heard of this case, and after doing some investigating, I was like, absolutely not. There were a few, (laughs) there were a few podcasts that covered it, but I mean... I didn't see any national stories or anything about it. It was very secluded to local news, local newspapers, and, like, local TV. I I think you're going to lose your mind. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier at dinner. We had burgers and sweet potato fries and mac and cheese, and it was great. Um, it was so good. You were like, you're going to freak out. <laughs> and I was like, great! I just think that this story reads like the plot of a movie and it's got all the drama and all the tea and all of the craziness so Uh, that makes me okay you gotta get to it because now I can't wait (laughs) yeah with with that being said today we are talking about the 1992 disappearance and murder of Amanda Davies Amanda was a small town girl. She grew up in the Lansing area. When she was four, her parents decided to move out of the city and buy some land in the suburbs. They settled on property in the Dansville Mason area, which is about 15 or so miles south of Lansing. So, gotcha. Gotcha. It's a really small rural community, and just to give you an idea of how small and tight-knit the community is, according to the Lansing State Journal, less than 500 people lived in Dansville at the time. That is a small town. Yes, so it's pretty small, very rural, and very quiet. Mm. Mm-hmm, that's how these always start. Yeah. In April of 1992, Amanda was closing out her freshman year of college. She decided to stay close to home and attend Lansing Community College. And this will warm everyone's hearts. She was a crime junkie. She was studying criminal psychology. A quote from her mom said that Amanda was always intrigued by the criminal mind. Yes, she would be our people. She is our people. Now, there's nothing quite like your first spring break trip in college. (laughs) Amanda and three of her best friends decided to take a road trip to Clearwater Beach, Florida. These were friends that she made as a young girl growing up in Dansville. She had known these girls since grade school. They grew up together and they were close for almost their entire lives. Okay, so that's good. They're old friends. They're not ones that she just met and is just now going on this spring break 
Correct. Okay. She she knew these girls her whole life. They went on spring break, and on Sunday, April 12th, the group of girls were making their way back to mid-Michigan. Her friends say Amanda drove most of the trip home from Florida. When they arrived, Amanda dropped off her friends at their respective houses and then headed home. Both her friends and her parents say Amanda was very tired after the long trip home, but... That didn't stop her from making a late night stop to get pictures of her trip developed. Oh, I would do that too. So, so cute. 90s. Oh, yeah, you go to like the Walgreens and you're like, please give me this in a day and I can she- make a little scrapbook. <laughs> she went to Meyer. <laughs> she went to Oh. Yeah. So just before 10 p.m., she told her mom that she wanted to show off some of the pictures from her trip to some of her other friends in town. Apparently, her and her dad had this ongoing bit whenever she left the house. He would always ask, where are you going? And she would be like, don't worry about it. Even though she had a very open relationship with her parents, she always told them where she was actually going and what she was doing. It's just cute. It's so cute. The same familiar conversation took place that night, and then Amanda's parents watched as she jumped into her silver 1982 Chevy pickup truck and set out for another drive, but this time she never came home. Uh, I'm already mad. Okay. It's quite literally all downhill oh no the next morning her parents were worried when they realized amanda hadn't come home after calling around and finding out that she hadn't been at a friend's house in fact none of her friends had even heard from her since the night before their worrying grew even more that same day amanda's truck was found locked at the dansville high school it was tucked away in the back corner of the parking lot and inside were her purse along with her id and that afternoon the davies decided to call the police and report amanda missing that's odd was she known to hang out there ever so i had the same thought i thought that it was kind of weird because she wasn't in high school anymore right but she you know she graduated the year before but at the same time i grew up in another suburb of lansing nearby and sometimes the high school is used as like a meeting spot or okay a safe a safe place to like leave your car for a day or two mm-hmm. and sometimes there was literally nothing to do but like go on drives right. and meet up in parking lots because that's true but you live in a small she town said she was gonna do she said she was meeting up with a friend she didn't really elaborate oh she said she was meeting up with a friend i thought she said she was getting photos no she was meeting up with a friend to show them her photos she oh had, i see yeah she had gotten the photos like developed and then she wanted to kind of like show them off to her other gotcha. friends okay yes. okay that makes more sense because i was like she is not at the Meyer. She is at high school. <laughs> yes. So she okay. she went to Meyer and then she decided to go meet up with a friend to show okay. off some of her gotcha. pictures. Okay. Yeah. So five days after her disappearance, an article from the Lansing State Journal was published. It was Amanda's 19th birthday, but there wasn't much to celebrate. The opening line of the article reads, today is Amanda Davies' birthday and the best present would be for her to come home safe. Oh my God. That just rips your heart out. I want to (laughs) die. 
The article contains one of the sweetest and most heartbreaking things I've ever read in a missing persons case. So the reporter said that Amanda's core group of friends that she went on her trip with went to the Davies house as soon as Amanda was reported missing that Monday and they slept there for over a week. Oh my god. I know. They called Amanda's parents Ma and Pa and refused to leave them alone until Amanda came home. That's so sweet. Oh my god. Yeah, these girls loved Amanda. Every article I read, they were just like, after everything happened, we were never the same without her. Yeah, and like, we talked about at the beginning, they're... They knew her. They grew up with her. Like, they've been friends for a while, so that would be really hard. And they probably knew her parents, too, so, ugh, that's horrible. The group helped the family put together flyers with Amanda's picture and description, plastering them all over the Dansville area and surrounding neighborhoods. The picture they used highlighted her tall, thin frame. You can see her straight blonde hair, bright blue eyes, and wide, beautiful smile. Amanda was last seen wearing blue jeans, a pink tie-dye t-shirt, and a blue pullover jacket with white canvas shoes. Despite the flyers and decent media coverage from the local news, things weren't looking optimistic. The article says Amanda's mom said it was getting increasingly difficult to stay positive. She had even began referring to her daughter in past tense, saying... Oh, no. I know. She said if she could call, she would. Right. Not hearing... Yeah, not hearing from her. It's like she just fell off the face of the earth. Right. And it's not like her to not keep in touch with her parents or her friends and let them know where where she is. Ugh, she seemed like such a good kid. I know. Her parents also told police that they were certain Amanda did not run away, and her friends echoed that. They said she was not the loner type to just take off and not tell anyone about it. Police agreed and almost instantly suspected foul play. Ingham County investigators kept circling back to Amanda's friends and family, interviewing them multiple times to see if they could pull out any more information from them. Five days after she went missing, local police requested help from state officials taking to the air for a helicopter search. Investigators also opened a tip line where people could call in, and they received roughly two dozen tips, which included alleged sightings from across the state. But on April 21st, nine days after Amanda's disappearance, officials told the Lansing State Journal each of those trails led to a dead end. Mm. Later that very same day, Amanda's Davies' friends and family received the worst news imaginable. The Associated Press reports that around 7.30 p.m. on April 21st, two kids found Amanda's body in a field just north of Mason, Michigan. The initial news article didn't provide much information. Police announced that there would be a press conference in the coming days. It's always so tough, but it, like... I feel like, at least for me, the closure would help. It wouldn't be easy, but at least she's not missing to this day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know how far away where she was found was from the high school, like from her car? So 
I can look up the exact area, but I can tell you. So, like, where they lived was in between. It was, like, on the line of Dansville and Mason. So, it wasn't far at all. Dansville and Mason are, like, neighboring communities. They're both pretty rural, both pretty small. That was my question, if it was, like, kind of close, so. It was very close, yeah. In that press conference, police would reveal that Amanda's body was found in a grassy area underneath a highway overpass. Judging by the map published by the Lansing State Journal, the overpass location on 127 falls much closer to, like, the outskirts of Holt. So, like I was just saying, Mason and Dansville are very close. The next neighboring town from Mason is Holt. In fact, my friend who recommended this case to me told me that she knows exactly which overpass it is and that anytime she drives past it, she gets knots in her stomach. Oh my god, yeah, you would. Because, like, I mean, it's her same age, right? They're around the same age? Around the same age, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, what if that happened to me? And she was just found, like, right there and I'm driving over it. Yeah. Police say the 19-year-old was stabbed to death. Officials called it a brutal murder. Her clothed body was discovered by two teenagers who were running the railroad tracks under the overpass. The boys were seen running along the freeway, waving their hands, trying to get the attention mm-hmm. of drivers. Eventually, a car stopped along with a state trooper. Okay. After examining the scene, police said they didn't believe Amanda had been sexually assaulted. Investigators said her body had been in that location for several days, but they don't believe she was killed there. Okay, so they think she was dumped. That was likely due to the lack of blood at the crime scene. Right. But... To be fair, it had rained in the days leading up to the discovery, so any possible blood on site could have been washed away. That's true. That's a good point. Police said her body looked somewhat staged because she was placed face down. Police reports show that Amanda was stabbed in the chest and her throat was slashed. Okay, so that's like rage to me, and... I don't know if it's guilt or just, like, a fuck you to put you face down or you put them face down so you don't have to look at them. Yeah. I so think it's gotta be somebody that knows her, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. A broken knife blade, believed to be the murder weapon, was found inside Amanda's clothing. Whoa. Yeah, that, like, kind of freaked me out. Yeah, either it was a shitty knife or it was, like, so much rage and so much force that it broke the fucking knife. Yeah. Ugh. At the press conference, officials also said they believe Amanda was killed by someone she knew because there were Mm -hmm. no signs of a struggle at the truck. They even had a few suspects they were zeroing in on. They wouldn't release any names just yet, but they said a young man from the Mason area agreed to take a polygraph test. Interesting. Then this was before polygraphs were like junk right yeah i think this was probably nearing the end of credibility for okay polygraph gotcha. tests like gotcha. i think they were still being used but they were they admissible in court actually i don't know i don't know i, I mean like, i think you even to this day i think you can use them but i, I don't think know it if... varies by state 
Yeah, but just to show you again how invested this community was in Amanda's murder, a small bank chain, Dart National Bank, which I actually had them until I went to college. (laughs) That was my bank. But they offered a $1,000 reward to anyone who could provide information that led to an arrest and conviction in the case. The bank spokesman said he felt compelled to offer an incentive to get answers for this small community that was devastated by the effect of the brutal crime. Yeah. In the days and weeks that followed, several articles were published about Amanda's case. Police reassured the public they are investigating every lead they get. There was a team of 10 local officers and two state police officers dedicated to this case. That's pretty big. That's, I would say, especially for back then. I think so. But it is a really, really small community. That's true, and they never, they probably don't have a lot of these happen. Ingham County is pretty small, and I would go on a limb to say that not a lot of crimes like this happen right, in, right. That, in that area outside of Lansing. Right. In May of 1992, an article was published focusing on the local crime lab. Earlier reports showed that pieces of evidence were taken from the crime scene, but again, no further details were published. The crime lab was analyzing everything they found, hoping to find a shred of evidence that could lead them to answers. But the article mentioned that the crime lab was overrun. They were responsible for examining Amanda's case and roughly 10 other cases in mid-Michigan at the time. On top of that, the staff at the lab was shrinking due to budget cuts, and that led to a bit of a backlog. And I would just like to say, can we not take the budgets away from people who are trying to solve? The important stuff? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, like, solve crimes and analyze dna and can we not do that right yeah thanks because then shit like this happens where you get backlogged or things get missed because you're trying to rush yeah thank you so much yeah thanks goodbye that's our psa for today but i will say eventually their hard work came through for police because in late june of 1992 investigators made an arrest in the murder of amanda davies an arrest you say Police say microscopic evidence led to the arrest of Michael Carroll, Amanda's friend, who has been referred to as her on-and-off-again boyfriend. No! Ugh. So get this, a unique fiber found on a blanket in the trunk of Michael's car matched the cloth fibers from the blue pullover sweater Amanda was wearing the night she was murdered. Okay. Officials said... The fibers could place Amanda in Michael's trunk that night. Okay, I will say immediately that's not super strong to me without knowing anything else. Because I I mean, unless she got that jacket that day, she might have worn it on her on-again spurts with him in his car. I mean, did you research the case? No. Because it's like you're there. Oh, no. <laughs> You may be wondering if they were hanging out a lot or dating on Uh and off again. It's plausible that fibers from her clothing could easily show up in his car. Correct. The only problem is the pullover Amanda was wearing that night was brand new. She had just- You didn't tell me that. (laughs) I was getting there. I know. Okay, then that's, I mean, yeah. It's called storytelling. Look it up. Ma'am. 
um so did she like do we have any more information on the jacket like, yes about it? we do sorry Listen go ahead to me do it then The pullover Amanda was wearing that night was brand new. She just bought it on her spring break trip to Florida, and this was the first time she ever wore it. So, still not super strong to me that he killed her. Super strong that he was with her before she died. There is a lot of circumstantial evidence that I think might change your mind. Oh, no. Okay. She had just bought that jacket on spring break. And in my mind and the mind of police, that meant she had to have seen Michael and come in contact with the blanket the night she died. Right, right. After Michael's arrest, his search warrant was available to the media and the public. And it revealed that he was a prime suspect from the very beginning. As they are. Apparently, in initial questioning, Amanda's friends revealed they had spent some time with a group of boys from Holt while they were on their spring break trip. The friend told police that some provocative photos of the girls were taken. Mm-hmm. And the friend recalled Amanda posing with some of the boys and saying, quote, this will really piss Mike off. Uh-huh. Knowing that he would be jealous if he saw the pictures. Right, but, like, you and I have both done things to make boys that we had crushes on jealous. So, like... Yeah. I <laughs> don't... I don't think that that's out of pocket at no, all. This no. is just pre-social media. Right. Yeah, you had to <laughs> physically send it to your recipient instead of just yeah. posting a hot selfie and then a lyric, a song lyric about the guy that you're thinking about. <laughs> Stop subtweeting them. (laughs) Well, according to an in-depth article from the LSJ, these boys from Holt didn't have a great history with Mike. And if you remember, one of the first things Amanda did when she got home was have those pictures develop. And her mom says when Amanda left the house that night, she took the pictures with her. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first theory that jumps into my mind is she met up with Mike that night. She showed him the pictures and he got maybe more than jealous and they got in a fight and he just snapped and killed her. That's plausible. That's just allegedly what could have happened. Right. It is a theory. It's where all of the information is pointing us. Yes. So... Mike told police he had spoken to Amanda on the phone that night around 8.30 p.m. He said they talked about the In Living Color television program. When asked what he did later that night, he said he went on a drive around Mason until about 11 p.m. But in another interview, he told police he was in bed sleeping. So the stories from Mike aren't exactly matching up. Sketch. I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm just saying it doesn't look good. Correct. I would agree with your theory. Police warrants revealed that before Mike took a polygraph test, he told friends he bought a blood pressure monitor so he could practice. Okay, that's where you lose me with your uh, presumed innocence, sir. He said, quote, this will let me crack this to keep my blood pressure low so that I can pass this test. But... Joke's on you, Mike, because the test showed he was probably lying anyway. (laughs) Right. Like, you stupid idiot. It was later revealed that Mike also had inconsistent stories about scratches that he had on his 
body and face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An autopsy would reveal that Amanda's nails were bent all the way back, which falls in line with the descriptions from oh. her friends. They told reporters that Amanda was scrappy and not afraid mm-hmm. to stick up for herself. One time at a party, a guy grabbed her and she punched him. Who does that sound like to you, Mallory? It sounds like you, girl. <laughs> Uh, good for her. I mean, she fought like hell. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to me like she went down without a fight. Like, right. Oh, she was sucks. swanging. Yeah, that sucks. Mike, it's not a good look, my guy. I'm already mad at you, Mike. Yeah, during his arraignment, Mike showed no emotion. He denied seeing Amanda the night she was murdered, despite those fibers found in right. his truck. Like, that's obviously a fucking lie, dude. Yeah. Which, again, were from the sweatshirt she had just bought in Florida and was Ugh. wearing for the first time. And she just got back that night, so there would be no other way or reason yes. it would be in your car, bro. He also entered a third story of what he was doing that night. This time, he said he was at a friend's house watching a hockey game. Ingham County Prosecutor Donald Martin said that alibi also turned out to be incorrect. What an idiot, dude. In addition to the fibers found, the crime lab said they were also analyzing hair, blood, and paint samples related to the case. And I want to go back to the murder weapon for a second. Mm -hmm. So remember that broken knife that was found in Amanda's clothing? Well, during the arraignment, police described the knife as something you would find in a butcher shop. Well, wouldn't you know it, Mike had been working at Daryl's Supermarket in Mason, and investigators found that the store keeps numerous meat-cutting knives similar to the one found at the crime scene. Martin told the judge that these knives are kept in an area accessible to employees. Great. Stay stupid. That's all I can say at this point. Like... Yeah. So this evidence is something that a lot of people can't get over. There are a lot of rumors and hearsay surrounding the fact that Mike worked in the supermarket and had access to knives like the murder weapon in question. Mm -hmm. When my friend sent me this case to look at, she kind of gave me a brief overview and it was the first thing that really grabbed my attention. Mm -hmm. So here is some hashtag unconfirmed tea. We love unconfirmed tea. Just know that it's unconfirmed, you guys. A pound of salt, okay? Yes, yes. So around this time, my friend dated a guy who also worked at the supermarket. Ooh. There were whispers around the shop that some of the butcher knives were missing. Whoa! That's wild. Now, I couldn't find any confirmed information about missing knives, like, from police or in court documents, but I did find it super interesting and eerie, if true, because the prosecutor did take the time to make the connection between Mike and the supermarket during his arraignment. Right, right. They had to have a reason to look there. Ugh, such good Missing, missing knives, I was like, shut the hell up. (laughs) Yeah, that that is not good. That's not good. So after multiple pretrial hearings with testimony from scientists and crime lab specialists, the judge ruled there was enough evidence 
for Mike to be tried for Amanda's murder. The issue with many small town cases always falls on the jury. Mm -hmm. Selecting one can be extremely difficult, especially with rumors flying from town to town. In early February of 1993, 77 potential jurors were summoned. That's 22 more than the average for a murder trial. Right, because this is a teeny tiny town. And it seemed like the family and Amanda had a lot of community support. And it seemed to get relatively biggish, at least in the region. Yeah, so, yeah definitely locally, it was huge. Yeah, it'd be tough to find an unbiased jury pool, for sure. Within a week, 10 women and 5 men were selected. Even after coming to an agreement on the jury, the defense requested to move the trial out of Ingham County. These days, we see stuff like that happen a lot more. Mm -hmm. But in 1993, it was a rare occurrence. It had been nearly 20 years since that was successful, like a case was successfully moved out of Ingham County. I know. And now I'm like, that would immediately be a mistrial. I feel like immediately as soon as he gets convicted, his team will be like, well, the jury was biased from the start so it's a mistrial i feel like you can't do that shit if you agree like if that's you true and the they did agree. agree this sorry that's about you like if you're against it from the start maybe but yeah that's a that's yeah. a good point but that precedent that was set did not change for this case within a matter of days the judge denied the request and opening statements for the trial began oh man i'm ready And it gets juicy. Uh, Let's get some justice for Amanda. These, some of these testimonies are like diary entries. I swear (gasps) to God. While police were purposely trying to keep the details about Mike and Amanda's relationship vague and hidden, a lot was revealed during the trial. An mm-hmm. LSJ article from February of 1993 shared testimony from one of Amanda's friends. She said in the days before her disappearance, Amanda was upset because she had been intimate with Mike and felt like he was toying with her. Douchebag. A man named Damon, who was friends with both Amanda and Mike, revealed that the couple slept together. Damon told the court that Amanda had plans to tell Mike that her period was late, inferring she may be pregnant. This was to get back at him for all of the head games that he was supposedly playing with her. I have mixed feelings. Amanda, I love you, but that's not a good look. No, it's not good. Not good to do. But she's also, what, 19? I get it. You do, like, you want to make this dude jealous. He's not paying enough attention to you. You want him to know that you are getting interest from other guys. And, like, there are consequences to having sex. Yeah. Damon also revealed he had gone with Amanda to get those photos developed that night. And Amanda pointed out the pictures with the boys from Holt, again, joking, that should really piss off Mike. So this is Mm -hmm. now the second person she's said that to. There were some intentions behind taking those pictures. Yes, that I do not blame her for in the slightest. Go off. (laughs) Pop off, girl. The trial also revealed some gruesome details about the murder itself, so prepare yourself. Okay. A medical examiner testified that Amanda was already bleeding out from stab wounds to the chest when her throat was slashed. Oh, 
She said the assailant wanted to make certain that Amanda would die. God, that's terrible. Amanda was stabbed a total of six times. That included wounds to her hands, which show experts that she was trying to fight off her attacker. Yeah, she fought for her life, especially if it's this guy. It's someone she knew and trusted. That's horrible. That's the last thing that you see before you die is someone you thought you could trust. And uh, Yeah. So the doctor also said that she believed Amanda was killed with a medium-sized pocket knife or a kitchen knife. The kitchen knife definitely falls in line with the butcher. Mm-hmm. The knives that were missing. Allegedly. Allegedly missing. Yes. Allegedly missing. She yep. also determined the killer was likely right-handed. Now, I would like to introduce you to Sue Nichols from the Lancet State Journal, <laughs> who covered this case in depth and made sure to mention that Mike was seen taking notes in the courtroom with his right hand. Oh, that is a dig. Good job, Sue. I am your friend. Sue, I love you, and I can't wait to bring you back for multiple segments in this. the rest of this story. The autopsy of Amanda also revealed that she was not pregnant, so it seems like she was just kind of pretending. Like she yeah. was gonna, she was gonna tell him, even though she knew it wasn't true. Things, I feel like, are not looking great for Mike. No, not really. It didn't help that his sister and mother both took the stand, but couldn't remember specifics about the night Amanda went missing. Mm-hmm. In fact, they didn't have much to offer at all in support of Mike. They said they don't know if he talked to Amanda that night because each kid had their own phone line. The sister and the mom also conveniently went to bed early that night and don't know if Mike left the house. So again, my girl, Sue Nichols, is here to throw some shade. Sue reports that Mike's mom worked for the Michigan State Bureau of History at the time, and it was quite literally her job to carefully document events. But then she testified that she couldn't remember when she compiled the events of that evening, she couldn't remember when her son was questioned by police, and she couldn't remember when his car was searched. Yeah, those are things you probably would remember if it's your child. I mean, come on. (sighs) Side note, this trial really did have, like, all the drama and all the tea. Mm -hmm. The last person to testify before closing statements, do you want to guess who was? Hmm. I was like, what if Sue got up there and was like, this is what I think. (laughs) I ride or die for Sue. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Who? It was Mike's girlfriend. Great. So Mike apparently had a girlfriend. Great. Great. So he's a... Okay. Her name is Kelly Smith. She told the court that she and Mike had started dating in January of 1992 before Amanda went missing. She even claimed to have seen Mike every day that week in April. She says she had no idea Mike had been having phone conversations with Amanda while she was in Florida. That's backed up by phone records, by the way. She clearly didn't know about the rumors that they had slept together because she testified that she still considered Mike to be her boyfriend. Oh, girl. Don't worry. My girl Sue is back again (laughs) with some subtle shade. Is it subtle at this point? 
Sue pointed out that Mike had been in jail for more than half of their quote relationship. Great. That one really got me. Yeah. Of all the shades, the only weight that Kelly's testimony held was that she claims she saw scratches on Mike in the days before Amanda went missing. That corroborates his story that the marks came from roughhousing with his dog. But other than that, I don't think her taking the stand did much for the case. But it also, I mean, I think it worked in the prosecution's favor because he had a girlfriend and was talking to another chick, like, speaks to his character. In the end, this entire trial came down to technological testimony and a lot of circumstantial evidence. Yes. So there were still no witnesses to the crime, even though Amanda's mom recalls her daughter saying that she planned to meet up with Mike that night. That's who did she, she was say planning. Mike? She did. That's who okay. she was planning to meet up with. She told her mom she was going to meet up with Mike. You and I both know that that's not solid evidence. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of just circumstantial evidence here. So I don't know. As a jury member, I would find that tough. The defense stood firm in the fact that scratches on Mike's body were from wrestling with his family dog. And when it came to the fibers found in the trunk, the defense said those findings are inconclusive. They say the fibers were only consistent with the sweater Amanda was wearing, not an absolute match. That's true. The defense told the jury that fibers are not like blood or hair follicles. They're not as matter of fact. And he also posed this question to the jury. If you take the fibers out of the equation, what evidence does the prosecution really have? I mean, still a lot of circumstantial evidence, but yeah. I get, a lot of a circumstantial, point. but nothing to really. I mean, right. the whole beyond point a reasonable of a trial doubt, is I don't beyond know. a reasonable doubt. I, I I think a lot of people forget that, and Mm -hmm. in the eyes of the public, he can look as guilty as sin, but... Oh, yeah, he's, like, he's a total shitbag for sure, but beyond a reasonable doubt, did he do this? I don't know, but I didn't sit in on the trial either, so... I don't know, man. Deliberations landed on the shoulders of 12 of the initial 15 jurors. Three of the jurors were excused after closing arguments. So apparently they had been labeled as like alternates in the case. And that was in case, you know, along the way, any of the 12 core jury members could not make it through the full six weeks of trial. So that left nine women and three men, and they were left with three options. They could find Mike guilty of first-degree murder, a crime punishable by life in prison. They could find Mike guilty of second-degree murder, which could range from a multitude of years in prison to life, or they could find Mike not guilty. That's hard, man. And the decision had to be unanimous. Oh, God. Yeah, that's... uh... Because, like, did he do it? More than likely. Did the prosecution prove that he did it beyond a reasonable doubt? I don't think so. I think that if this case happened today, they would be able to determine without a doubt if he did oh, yeah. it or not. There'd be cell Based phones on, involved. <laughs> yeah, cell phones, advancements in technology. Mm-hmm. They would be able to pin this on him. That's what I was going to ask. So you mentioned her fingernails were, like, all the way back. Mm-hmm. Did they... 
check in there for DNA if those scratches. They said, yeah, they said there wasn't anything underneath her fingernails. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, this is what's crazy to me when I read this. It only took the jury nine and a half hours to deliberate. Now, normally, that means they think the person's guilty. Or super not. It could go either. Like, a quick one could be either really good or really bad. Well, they decided that Mike was not guilty. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's what I would have I to do. I get it. That's what I would it. have to do as I... a juror. He's horrible. He's not super great but yeah did they prove it i don't think so when it came down to it they didn't find the fiber evidence strong enough to convict mike of murder what was really sad to me and i think very telling of the time is that the prosecutor told the media he wasn't sure where this case would go from here because mike was their only suspect He said police had investigated every other lead that they had, exhausted all of their efforts, and they didn't have anything except for these fibers linking her to Mike. Like I said, did he do it? Probably. In my opinion, probably, but probably does not, should not get a conviction in court. Amanda was cremated, so she has no final resting place. On the one-year anniversary of her disappearance, family and friends installed a wooden cross near the overpass where she was Mm -hmm. found as a memorial marker. Her parents sold her pickup truck, and they made sure to list it out of state because they wanted to make sure that they would never run the risk of seeing it drive through. Oh my god. That's so sad because in all of this, as a family member, you're like, if the police are charging him, he probably did it. And then in their minds, and in my mind, honestly, he got away with it. Yeah. It's really hard to see outside of all of those circumstantial things that could set someone off. I know. Amanda's parents also let her friends take mementos from her room, like clothing and jewelry, which, by the way, is so thoughtful of her parents because speaking from experience in losing a friend at like a very young age, actually kind of around the same time as Amanda, it can be incredibly comforting to have items like that to help you heal and Mm -hmm. remember them. And my friend's parents did the same thing. and that like really warmed my heart and it is so big of them because that's their only remnants of their kid too so like to give some of that away is just really it's like so good and so heartwarming and so sad that they have to do that Mm. I read another article that Amanda's mom before she passed away they had talked about redecorating her room oh she was ready to like redecorate her high school room and have a more adult room and so her mom repainted her room and it was like black and chic and like adult and so I think that that was healing for her and also she was able to kind of move past looking at her daughter's old you know childhood bedroom right so side note what color was your childhood bedroom oh girl I went through phases (laughs) I my first childhood bedroom was like light purple Mm -hmm. and then my parents uh had my brother when I was nine and so uh, I had to get a new bedroom (laughs) and I had pink walls and leopard print carpet oh my god 
<laughs> yes. And then in high school, I convinced my mom to repaint the pink wall because I was not here for it anymore. Mm-hmm. And we painted it red. That's amazing. What color was um, yours? Two of the walls were like lime green. Of course they were. <laughs> and then the other two were like a baby blue. <laughs> I can Uh, picture it in my head right mm -mm. now. And then there were Twilight posters and (laughs) One Direction pictures. It was not good. You were all about the One Direction. I was. And props to my mom for allowing her house to be painted that color because... Yeah. Those are clashy. Yeah. Mm-mm. I wonder what Amanda would have liked. I bet she was like super into like InSync and like. <gasps> yes, it was around that time, wasn't the it? The Backstreet Boys. Uh, yes. I feel like she was so cool. Beyond that like, one year mark article that I found, I really couldn't find any movement in this case. It, uh, it kind of looks like after Mike's acquittal, the case just went cold right like if he was the only suspect like what are you gonna do yeah and that's the way it's remained for 30 years naturally i reached out to my police friend again just (laughs) to see (laughs) if the case was still open or not and he told me he would have to kind of look into it so Mm -hmm. i might have an update in the next couple of episodes but if i had to guess i'd assume the case is still open and it's probably labeled as a cold case yeah but It's really unfortunate because it seems to me like they put all of their eggs in Mike's basket and it didn't pan out and he was acquitted. He can't be retried. Right. I mean, if he did do it, then that was the right basket to put it in, you know? Like, he could be the only, like, viable suspect. Like, they could have, I mean, it sounded like they exhausted all other avenues that we know of, but... I mean, I think to me, at the very least... What you can say is Amanda met up with her friend. Mm -hmm. She printed those pictures, told it was a mutual friend. She told her friend that she was going to go see Mike Mm -hmm. and that she was going to show him those pictures. She told her mom she was going to go see Mike and show him those pictures. Right. And do you know what the most fucked up thing about this that I found while researching those pictures that Amanda printed and was so eager to have developed have never been found. Her keys to her car have never been found. And the locket necklace that she often wore was also never found. That's gross. That's like a trophy. I hate it. I hate it too because I... In my opinion, and allegedly, Mike fucking did it, but they just didn't have enough to stick it to him. And I think, I think that this got a lot of attention in the newspaper. I read dozens of articles about this in the Lansing State Journal and um, a couple of other, you know, it was on the AP Newswire, which Mm -hmm. was then picked up at some of the other, you know, big uh, newspapers in the state. I remember reading an article where her friends said that they never thought that they would see her picture on the news. So that Mm -hmm. means that the story was also being kept up with on local TV. Again, this was like past the point in time where there would be TV archives for us to verify that but I have like full belief that this was heavily covered on the TV and in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I think that 
had Mike been found guilty, this probably would have gone more national. Probably, yeah. Because then, at least as a journalist, if they're convicted, you feel more comfortable printing some of the stuff that was said in court that people said about him and things like that. Because like you said, it is like it's there's a lot of drama involved in this case and the public loves drama. But when he doesn't get convicted, then you could be liable for a libel suit if you are like, he's a piece of shit. (laughs) So, yeah. I want to end this episode by saying that, on a real note, I I called out Sue because I loved her reporting, mm-hmm. but Sue wrote almost every single article that I read, so oh, that's hats amazing. off to Sue for her continued coverage on the this. The follow queen. Yeah, I hope you won a freaking award for your, an SBJ award or something, I don't yeah. know, I hope that you got some something for for that and um yeah because sticking in the newsroom sticking with a story that long is super hard i mean it's like almost it was like a year and a half yeah i ride or die for (laughs) amanda and i am so sorry to amanda's friends and family and i wish that i could do something to push this case forward but it just kind of feels like a dead end i know so i mean i guess we can just say if you who is listening that is not our moms or grandmas somehow know something about this case and you've been keeping it to yourself thinking oh this probably doesn't matter or even if you're keeping it to yourself like should I say this just say it if ever you feel like you have information that could help something get solved just share it even if it seems stupid even if you were just a kid back then and you were scared and you didn't tell the police something like you're not going to get in trouble for it now And you can help bring justice to somebody's family. Guys, we have a guest for our next episode. Next week, we're going to have another guest. I know. It's going to be so good. And it's going to be, we've already picked the case. And it's something that all three of us covered extensively in our time in the newsroom in Indianapolis. So that will be fun. Not fun, but, you know. (laughs) No, it'll probably actually be terrible. It'll be really sad. It'll be, we're all going to cry. But hopefully it'll bring some additional light to the case because I will say there's a trial coming up soon. So, so all right. Oh yeah. If you have any, if you have any cases that you want us to cover, send it to us. Uh, We love your suggestions. Just like the one we did today was a suggestion. Um, Yes, ma'am. And that's our end goal is to get light to as many stories as possible, especially if they haven't been covered. We want to try to dig a little deeper. We've both made calls Two police departments already, so um, (laughs) maybe we'll solve a cold case at some point. I'm here for it. (laughs) Me too. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from the Lansing State Journal, the Detroit Free Press, and the Bitter Endings podcast. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out. Shout out, Sue. Bye. Bye!